All right. So today we are continuing in our series on James, which we did uh, a couple weeks ago. This whole series is about making sure that we can see the gospel in James, the message of Jesus Christ who came and died and rose again. But the problem is that when you look at James, it just seems like a big list of commandments and laws. So where do you find the gospel in the midst of this kind of odd word that is pointing a lot towards what we just need to do and not what we need to believe? Where is the gospel in the book of James? Well, I think James recognizes that it is full of lots of commandments. And I don't think he's kind of shying away from that. I think he's actually embracing it. But he wants to make sure that we read the book properly. And so today we're going to look at James's interpretation of the Word of God. He's going to show us what the Word of God really is so that when we receive his book, we don't receive it as something that crushes us, but as something that points us to Jesus Christ and actually encourages us to keep pushing towards Christ himself. Because there's, there's other ways that we can tend to receive the word that is less than healthy. Sometimes we can come to the word of God and we're just confused by it. We don't understand what we're actually supposed to be getting out of the Bible. What is the point of it? And so we neglect the word just because we're maybe ignorant or naive about what we're supposed to be looking for. Another way we can kind of misunderstand the word is to think that it's just a bunch of commandments and it weighs heavy on us. That it feels kind of oppressive. That it just makes us feel bad. And so we don't like going to the word because we'd rather feel, feel good about ourselves. The last one would be that maybe we kind of avoid the word because we just think, well, I'm saved by grace. I'm going to heaven. I know where I'm going. I know what's going to happen to me. Why do I need to be committed to the word of God when I feel like me and Jesus are good? And there is a reality to that. So what do we do with the word of God according to James? Well, our passage is going to show us why we should love the word of God. And it tells us that we're to love the word because by the word we are reborn. We are reborn by the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And by the word, we are sustained in our Christian life. And by the word, we are blessed in doing the things that it actually says. I think we need to cherish this word, the word of God, because it unites us to Jesus Christ, whom we love. That this word of God is about the true word of God, Jesus Christ. And so we love the word because it connects us to him. And it helps us live out the new creation that he has made us into. And it helps sustain us in the life that we have found in Christ. All right, so let's turn to James 1. Look at verses 18 through 25. It's James 1, verses 18 through 25. And read with me. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let each person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who sees his face, sorry, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and look, once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. All right, so let's jump in right at our first point. We love the word of God because it points us to Jesus Christ through whom we are reborn. So look at verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now we jump in with a kind of a lack of subject, so let's fill that in. The he is God the Father, and the we, the we is actually not, not us, we. The we is James and the Jewish exiles, the people who are Christians who are pushed out and persecuted. So in this passage, this one little verse, God is saying that out of his own good pleasure, just because he desires to do it, he brought forth James and these Jewish Christians. Now that leads us to a second question. What does brought forth mean? I think James uses that, that phrase, brought forth, in the same way that we'd think of a mother bringing forth a child. That God causes us to be reborn, remade, recreated. Now, do we have to recognize the impact of what that means? To be reborn. To be a completely new person. A new creation. And what is the result? The result is that James and these Jewish Christians become, as it says, a kind of first fruits of his creation. They are first fruits. First fruits are kind of the, the small taste of a huge harvest. The very first kind of tomatoes you pick off the vine as a guarantee that there's this coming explosion. What James is saying here is that by the word of truth, people are reborn. They are reborn to become this new humanity, a new people, a new mankind, different than they ever were before. And we ask, what is so different about these new creation people? What is so different? Well, first we have to understand the nature of the old creation people. After the fall, everyone, man, woman, and child, was enslaved to sin. They couldn't do anything but sin. Now, what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying that they were blatantly sinning as much as humanly possible so they could be the worst of the worst. Right? That's not what I mean. But I'm saying that in their hearts, there was sin. And so every time that old created man acts, he acts out of the sin in his heart. And he is motivated not by love for God, but love for self and love for sin to the point that 
this old creation could not please God. Could not and would not and did not. Romans 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there is this old man, and the old man is enslaved to sin and cannot do anything against it. And as a result, they cannot please God and are under his wrath and his curse and his displeasure. That is the state of the old creation, the old man. But by the word of truth, by the word of God, that old man is reborn, is born again to a new creation and to new life. Now, how does that actually happen? How does this word of truth transform these sinful mankind? Well, the fact is that this word of God, this word of truth, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the message that the true word of God, the Son of God, came down to become a man. And while he was a man, he lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died. He died for our sin, and he was resurrected to new life. That is the message of the word of God. It is the gospel that saves us. So that when we believe in that word of God, we're not just believing in a message, we're believing in Jesus Christ himself. And we're united to Jesus Christ, and we die with him in his death, we die to sin, and then we are raised up to become new creations. New created people who are totally different than we were before. Now, it pleases God to reveal that truth to us in his word. That is what the word is all about. The fact that you could do nothing before Christ came, that you are dead in your sin, that you need to be completely remade, and that is done through Jesus Christ. That is the message of the word of God. That you are a new people who are perfect in Christ. Who have been washed clean. Who are adopted as sons of God just as Jesus was a son of God. Now how does that help us love God's word? I hope it's fairly obvious. We love God's word because it contains the message that saved us. It contains the truth that turned us into new creations, that saved us out of our sin and made us actually able to love and obey God, that made us perfect in his sight, that washed us clean. And so if you love Jesus and you love the fact that Jesus died for you and you love the fact that you are now perfect in God's eyes, then we should rightly love the word of God which testifies to that fact. Now, what do you do if you think the Bible is boring? Maybe you do. You think the Bible's boring. What do you do with that? I think there's two options that might be going on here. First option. You might think the Bible is boring because you don't understand it. You think the Bible is boring because you, don't, you can't see Christ in it. It just seems like a bunch of random stories or boring poetry that you don't understand or a bunch of commandments. 
and you can't see the gospel in it. I want to say that if you're reading the Bible and you can't see Jesus, you can't see his death and resurrection, you're actually not reading it properly. You're missing the point and it's probably going to be boring. It might be discouraging. Because honestly, like, we don't just, you're not just called to love the Bible because you love ancient Israelite history. Like, no one is expecting that from you. You should love the Bible because you love hearing about Jesus. That you love Jesus. And so I'm going to tell you something that may be surprising. There might be some books that you are not ready to read in the Bible. Not because they're bad books, but because you can't understand them. And because you can't see Jesus in them. Oftentimes we feel like we have some duty to like, no, I like got to trudge through Leviticus. Like, like, like you get your like Leviticus gold star that you, I got through Leviticus. But there's no point in that. You don't get a gold star. And oftentimes you just leave thinking that the Bible is boring and why does God make me read this thing? If you can't see Jesus in the book, then don't just trudge through and then accuse the Bible of being boring. It's actually your problem in not understanding the book. All right, so if you find a new believer, right, you don't hand them a Bible and just say, yeah, go read Ecclesiastes. Go read Leviticus. Go read Numbers. No, you have to be prepped for these things. We build up to the hard books. We, they start with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because the Bible is supposed to point to Jesus. And it obviously points to Jesus when he's like walking around and talking to people. So we start people out there. All right. Does this mean that you should just stick to the Gospels and never read anything else? No. There are real treasures of the Gospel to be found in these other books. But you have to work for it. And you're probably going to need help to find Jesus in some of these books. Now, lo and behold, that, that's probably what I'm here to help with. That's what Tom is here to help with. If you ask Tom for help, though, he's going to have Debbie give you five commentaries on the book <laughs> and a few Bible studies, and you're going to be very well equipped. But the hope is that you would find Christ in these books. I think we can kind of turn Bible reading into a works element. Where you feel like, oh, no, it's, like, it's just like what Christians do. It's my duty. It makes me holy. No, the Bible is to point us to Jesus. To remind us of how good he is in the gospel. And if you can't see Jesus, then you need help finding Jesus in the Bible. That's what we're here to do. All right. So, the second option. The second option is a little more discouraging. All right, the first one, you, maybe you just don't understand the Bible that well. Second, your heart just might be cold to the gospel. That you can see the gospel, but you don't care anymore. Now, that, that is a reality. That we can lose our love for Jesus. We can, we can fall out of love with our first love. Now, that is not the Bible's fault. That is our fault for having cold, stone hearts. And if you're in that state, I would call you to, to remember your first love. Remember why you came to Christ in the first place. What was it that drew you to him? What made you fall in love with him in the first place? 
Maybe we'd think about where would we be if we didn't know Christ? How would we live our lives? How deceived would we be? We need to fall in love with Jesus Christ again. And that might mean going back to the basics, reading those gospels, reminding yourself of who Jesus is and why we should love him. Now, maybe you've never loved Jesus like that. I would say go to his word and see who Jesus is. Fall in love with him for the first time. See that message of the gospel. That Jesus Christ died for your sin. That he loved you. That he presents you perfect before the Father by his own blood. There is no better message than that. And if you can't rejoice in that message, then we need to call out that we would love Christ once again. All right. So that's what the Word of God is about. The Word of God is about Jesus. But let's jump into our second point. James encourages us to receive the Word with meekness as a means of fighting sin and persevering in faith. Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with weakness, sorry, with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, what is James doing here? I think he's encouraging us to actually live out this new creation life, to act like the new creatures that we are, to be free from anger, to listen and not speak to actually embody the righteousness that, that Christ gives us. So is righteousness by Christ alone? Yes. Now go and live like you're righteous, because you are in Christ. That's what James is telling us to do. And as we pursue righteousness, we must receive with meekness the implanted word. Now if that is utterly meaningless, that, that's okay. We're going to talk about it. it Bible doesn't really talk like this uh, any other place. The implanted word. All right. What does it mean that the word is implanted? So you heard the word of God the first time, and by it you were saved. You came to know who Jesus was and what he did for you. Now that word doesn't just kind of linger out here. That word actually comes and dwells inside of our hearts. It gets implanted inside of us. And so you carry that message of the gospel with you wherever you go. It dwells with you deeply and actually comes up and comes out. And by this implanted word in our heart, we actually have a special ability as these new creations. We have the ability for the first time to choose good over evil. We have the ability not to sin. Because before there was only sin in our hearts, and every time we try to do anything, it just spills on out. The sin expresses itself. But now we have that word written on our hearts. And so when we live out, according to our hearts, our love for God, we are obedient in a way that we never could be before. Now there's a sense in which that implanted word is very much like the Holy Spirit. Now think about it. All right, The Holy Spirit and the word both come and dwell within you. 
both of them point to the cross. They point to Jesus. Both of them are, are told to be the means by which we are sanctified. They are the means by which we, we continue on in the Christian faith. We are also supposed to both be, to possess the word and the spirit and be led by them. To let the spirit within us, the word within us, guide us in our Christian lives. Now this is kind of a rabbit trail, but I think it's a helpful one. I think we have a tendency to divide the word and the spirit. To choose one or the other. But as you look at scripture, you're going to see that the lines get really blurred. That what the Holy Spirit does and the word does, they almost overlap. It's use the exact same language to describe the two. And I would say that unfortunately, churches, especially denominations, like to choose one. So that those who choose the spirit, yeah. <laughs> all right, Pat, oh man, you were the last person I would have suspected, Pat. <laughs> all right, um, all right, spirit, spirit in the word. All right, um, where was I? Spirit in the word. Let me check. Denominations. Yeah, I was hating on denominations. Well done. Uh, no, not really. Um, all right. Denominations choose, tend to pick one. And they're like, oh, I'm, we're going to be Holy Spirit people. And we're going to be like fun and free and emotional and like really passionate about God. And the people who, who choose the, the word, they're going to be kind of like dry and boring and, and staunch. All right. Then there's, then there's the word people. And the word people, they say the spirit people, they're just over-emotional and out there. They have, they're just chaotic. They just love making up things. And we, we word people, we're, we're truth. We're truth and we're wisdom and we're faithfulness. All right, that is nowhere found in scripture. The word and the spirit are, are paired together for a reason. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Word. He wrote the Word. He loves the Word. He loves communicating through the Word. And the Word is to be received by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way we can get anything out of the Word is because we are Spirit-filled people. And so, if we are pursuing the Word and the Spirit together, it's, that's how it's supposed to work. We listen to the Spirit through His Word. And we listen to the word in the power of the spirit. We cannot divide those things. Those are not mutually exclusive. You don't pick one. You pick both. And you're going you're gonna to grow in that. That is how the word and the spirit are meant to be together. That the indwelling spirit and the implanted word have made us new creations. And as a result, we are able to obey in a way that we never were able to before. But we have this implanted word, but James still says, receive the implanted word. So just like we receive the spirit, we are still called to be filled with the spirit. We receive the word and are called to keep receiving that word. The gospel of salvation, the word of God incarnate, we are to receive that word continually. More and more and more, on and on and on. As a result, we are reinforced in the truths of Scripture and the promises that are ours in Christ. 
Now, what are those promises? The promises of what are true of us in Christ. That we are beloved sons. That God gives good gifts to his children. That we will find peace and rest and comfort in God. That he will never forsake us or abandon us. That he will care for us in all things. All of those things are blessings and truths that are, in lo- that are kind of played out through the gospel. When we read the word, I think we can get bogged down with all the commandments and miss the fact that there are actually a lot of promises in there. Promises that would fortify us against sin. Would cause us to remember who we are and what we have found in Christ so that sin gets kind of stupider and stupider. Why why would I pursue that? I'm pursuing all of these blessings that I have found through the promises of Jesus Christ. That is how we are to receive this word, to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. But it also says we are to receive it with meekness. That's an important element of this. With meekness. Now, we don't tend to talk about meekness very much. Uh, We we like people, not meek people. But what is meekness? Meekness is submission and it is humility. When we hear the word of God, we don't kind of stand over it and tell it what to say. We come under it and it, it teaches us. It's the opposite of coming to the word with arrogance or with defensiveness. And so when you come to the word, we should expect that God is going to speak. And God probably knows things that we don't know. And he probably understands things differently than we understand them. Now, I think we become really confident in our theology and in our knowledge. And we become kind of hardened to the word. We think we know what it's going to say, and so we tell it what it says. But when we receive this word from a, humble, like from a stance of humility, we might be surprised that there are things in there that we don't understand. Or things that we say we understand, we say we believe, but we really don't. We need to be reminded that we know more than we really believe. And scripture is going to teach that to us. And it's going to change us and it's going to challenge us. It's going to help us see Christ afresh and in, in a new way and in a way that draws us on towards Christian maturity. All right. Now, we've talked about kind of that the word is holistically the gospel. We talked about how in the word we should seek out the promises and the blessings of God that are found in Jesus Christ. But now, what do you do with the commandments? We all hate the commandments. Because the commandments, they make us feel bad. Now, some commandments might make us feel good, the ones we can keep. But there are others that are going to be hard for us to keep and then make us feel like failures or bad Christians. Now, what do we do with those commandments? Now, James is actually pretty straightforward. He says, you should, you should do them. Just, just do them. But actually, that, that is a revolutionary answer in our circles. Because oftentimes when we hear, you should do the commandments, we usually say something like, no, no, I'm, I'm evil to the core. I can't possibly do the commandments. That if, if I'm left to myself, I'm just going to sin. And so if I'm going to obey, God is going to have to make me obey. 
And God is going to have to supernaturally put obedience in my heart. But otherwise, there's no way I can pursue it. There's no way I'm going to obey on my own. Now, do some of you react that way to commandments? Maybe you do. I think it sounds like it's gospel-centered. And it sounds like it's being really gracious and making God the center. But the thing is, it's not biblical. Because it's forgetting some things. It's forgetting that you are new creations. It's forgetting that that indwelling Holy Spirit and that implanted word makes us able to be obedient in a new way. In a way that we never were before. We are not the same people we were before we were saved. And our relationships to the commandments is very different. So we are able to obey in a new way. Now, I know we don't like that because it can be discouraging. I feel like, well, then, then why am I so terrible? Why do I sin so much? Well, let's, let's see what James says in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. All right, first thing we see here, we are called to keep the commandments. That when God speaks, it's not just kind of a warm, fuzzy, God spoke to me, isn't that great? No, it's just that he actually is telling you to do things. He's telling us to do things. And so we need to recognize that at least that is true. We sometimes say that commandments are just to remind us of the gospel. That they remind us of what sinners we are and how great Jesus is. Now that is true. The commandments should do that. But that's not all they do. They actually are telling us how to live this Christian life. And how to honor and love God. How to be the new creations that Jesus turned us into. All right, so how do we respond when we see these commandments that are so hard to keep? I think first of all, we need to see that the law is a law of liberty. That's what James calls it. The law of liberty. Now it's called that in part because we are at liberty to keep it in a new way. Paul calls it the, the law of slavery. Because when we were that old creation, we couldn't keep it. And it just, it just enslaved us more and more to sin. But that's not how we receive the word anymore. We see, receive the word as something that we can keep because we are free from sin. All right, but there's another sense in which it's the law of liberty. It's a law of liberty because it brings freedom. We were enslaved to sin. That sin is this enslaving force, not just bad stuff you shouldn't do. And so when we see the law, we should see a path to freedom. Kind of like the Underground Railroad. It's a map to get us free from oppression and free from slavery. Slavery to sin and slavery to death that we have been brought out of. So we should use the law as a way of seeing ourselves and knowing ourselves and seeing that sin which enslaves us. 
so that we would know how to be free. Now look at this. Look at the simile here. We have the simile of the, the mirror and the guy. When you look in a mirror, you're supposed to see yourself. And when you see yourself, maybe you have some spinach in your teeth. Right? Or your hair is kind of weird on one side. That wouldn't be my case, but, but for some of you, your hair might be weird on one side. Maybe, maybe your mascara is all running. You look like a big raccoon. You know? <laughs> when, you, when you see the mirror, you're supposed to see yourself and not just go, oh, yeah, there's some spinach there, and then walk away. You know, it gives us that image so that we can do something about it, so that we can make changes, so that we can kind of be different people than we were before we looked into the mirror. Now, it's the same with the Word of God. It's the same with the commandments. They show us, and they show us the slavery that is still there. Did you know that, that every sin is kind of a failure to see Jesus? That we sin because we don't understand what Jesus has done for us. That we don't see the blessing of Jesus and we think, oh no, I have to, I have to get this thing on the side. The law reminds us that, that sin is, is killing us. And it calls us to obey so that we might be blessed. The law isn't just a shackle, it's to free us from sin. So we might receive the blessing of actually living as new creatures, living out our new creation. And you'll be blessed in that obedience. Not blessed in the sense that you're going to be rich and happy and have a great life. Think of Jesus. Jesus perfectly obeyed. He did not have a happy, slappy little life. No, he didn't. But he was blessed. Because in his obedience, he had fellowship and deep relationship with the Father. He was blessed by being holy as God is holy. Having fellowship with God in that righteousness. Being relationally close to God the Father. That is the blessing that we are seeking. And we seek that through obedience to the law. It's not just shackling us, it's actually letting us free. Be free and be the people that God has created us to be. All right. So let's keep this very practical. When you hear the word of God, do you do it? Do you do it? I'm guessing that most of you hear the word of God in this context. That you hear it through sermons. So let's do a little test. Two weeks ago, oh, what did we talk about? Rejoicing in our suffering. Count it all joys, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Now, who had a trial these past two weeks? Any trials? Uh, it's in shy hands. <laughs> all right. Did you rejoice? Did you rejoice? Did you try to rejoice? Did you seek the wisdom of God to understand the trial? Did you seek to fellowship with Jesus in the midst of the trial? Were you reminded that just as Jesus Christ is this unlikely gift, our suffering can actually lead us to God? Did you find yourself fellowshipping with God through your suffering? 
we all did that, we would have remarkably different lives. That would change the tone of everything that we did. And we might be blessed people, people who have peace and who have joy, who have comfort in the midst of sorrows. That would change everything. When we don't do anything with the word, we're basically selling ourselves short. We're cutting ourselves off from the blessing of God. It's not just, a, you, no, you did something bad. It's, it's a, you're not experiencing the joy that God has for you. So when we see the commandments of God, let us rejoice in them and see how we might have joy and life in him. All right. So, all right, so final very practical thing. I'm calling you to love the word. And how will you express that? You'll read your Bible. Very simple. Read your Bible. If you don't like reading your Bible, get connected to things that will get the word into your heart. Sermons are okay. Don't feel bad about that. Right? Someone can, can teach you scripture, can teach you the word of God, can point you to Christ. But make sure you're getting to Jesus. If you aren't seeing the gospel in it, then you're not, you're not actually using the word and you're not going to have the joy in reading the word as you should. Let the word kind of speak to you the promises of God. Remember how you're blessed in Jesus Christ. And then do the things that it says that you might kind of capture this blessing of fellowship with God. The word of God is all about Jesus Christ. And if we love that word of God, let us love his word and pursue Jesus in his word.